How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. When we think about the battle for the Bible in the 1970s in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we don't often think about church and ministry. That subject really belongs farther back in the history of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, near its inception, when that was the big question. Are we church? What is the relationship between the pastoral office and the congregation? Well, even though the battle for the Bible really was mostly about Scripture, it also involved an ever-evolving view of the church and of the ministry. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us for part six of our series on the Lutheran battle for the Bible to talk about church and ministry, Dr. John Walrabi, assistant pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, sixth vice president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of a chapter in the book, Rediscovering the Issues Surrounding the 1974 Concordia Seminary Walkout. John, welcome back. Thank you very much, Todd. It's good to talk to you. Tell us how about how the the pastors and congregations that would become the early Missouri Synod struggled with and resolved issues of church and ministry. Well, it was predominantly the, the Saxons who followed a pastor named Martin Steffen. They felt uh, that he was being persecuted, that they were being persecuted, and so they came to Missouri first arrived in St. Louis, then uh, settled in Perry County. And uh, they had based their whole concept of being church and the ministry upon the leadership of Martin Steffen and the pastors. And so uh, when it was discovered that their leader was being inappropriate, (laughs) to say it mildly, and they rode him across the Mississippi River and dropped him off on the Illinois side, they were really disarrayed. They really struggled for over a year. The people were starving. They they weren't really prepared for life in the in the new world. And the whole question of whether they were church, whether their pastors had valid calls came up. They really struggled with that. And finally, they had a debate at Altenburg in uh, 1841. And Pastor uh, C.F.W. Walther debated with a uh, layman, who was a lawyer by the name of Franz Marbach, And Walter put forth the idea that they were indeed church, that the church uh, consists of all who truly believe in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the uh, church is invisible since we cannot see in people's hearts, but God knows. The church exists wherever the Word of God is preached and the sacraments are administered. The Word of God is preached purely and sacraments administered rightly, but even in heterodox organizations where enough of the word of the gospel is proclaimed and the sacraments administered, there the Holy Spirit also works faith. So even though they had been in error, they were still the church. So they, they struggled with this and came to that conclusion. And then they, they were confronted with other Lutherans who would come here who held views similar to what they had 
when they came over, and it ended up causing a, a great dispute between what was called the, the Buffalo Synod, those Prussians that settled in Buffalo, New York, and Freistadt, Wisconsin, and the Saxons who had struggled with this and come to their conclusions. So from the very beginning, you had uh, these issues of church and ministry coming up. What was CFW Walther's particular genius regarding this issue, would you say? I would say in struggling with this and seeing that uh, under Martin Stephan, they had placed the ministry over the church and everything, including the validity of their being church, rested upon the ministry and the ordained pastorate. Walther, uh, and then the response of the laity at that time was to then put the church over the ministry and say that the pastor is nothing but a hireling and fireling. We can dismiss him if we want. Walther maintained a balance and attention. He didn't put the church before the ministry or the ministry before the church. It wasn't which came first, the egg or the chicken. It was Christ established both, and both church and ministry center on Christ and the gospel. The church is made up of believers in Christ and who have been brought to faith by the Holy Spirit, working through the Word and the sacraments, and the ministry. This is conferred or passed on to pastors through the call of the church, but that didn't make the church over the ministry. The pastorate had to be established because it was instituted by Christ, and the pastor oversaw the full proclamation of the Word and the administration of the sacraments in a congregation of believers. Tell us about the theses that were adopted by Synod in 1851. Well, they're referred to as Kirko and Ma'amt, Church and Office, or Church and Office of the Ministry. It was in response to these Buffalo Synod pastors, predominantly the leader, J.A. Grabau, who had uh, published a Hirton brief, a, a pastoral letter, which basically claimed that the validity of the sacraments depended upon an ordained clergyman, that the ministry was something that was passed down by way of other ordained pastors. So the, the ministry was definitely over the church. And also the, the pastor was to be obeyed in everything not forbidden in Scripture. So their initial response was just with Grabau, but he blasted them back and eventually excommunicated the Saxons and then the whole Missouri Synod. But the response was Walther's church and ministry, questions regarding the uh, church and office. And here Walther maintained that, as he did in the Altenburg Theses, that the church consists of all who truly believe in Jesus Christ and uh, who have been brought to faith by the Holy Spirit working through the Word and the sacraments, and that the church is invisible. It is made up of uh, a priesthood or a royal priests in Christ, and all churchly gifts of Christ are given to the church, but the administration of those are to be done by the office of the ministry, which Christ also established, and that is conferred by way of the call. And uh, the pastor is the highest office of the church, but that is not an office of aristocracy or anything. It's an office of service, of steward of the mysteries of God, 
And so that is something that stands on its own, yet the church is not over it, and the ministry is not over the church. And the, the pastor is to be obeyed only insofar as he is proclaiming the Word of God. He can't order what color a church building should be or whatever. That was decided by the congregation. So this caused a, a great tension between Grabau and the, the Missourians. The Missourians were not just the Saxons, they were also made up of men who were trained and sent by a pastor in Neuendettelsau, Bavaria, named Wilhelm Lea. He happened to side with Grabau on certain things with respect to the ministering being passed on by the clergy through ordination and the laying on of hands. And he attempted to mediate between Walter and Grabau, but basically he, he tended to side more with Grabau with respect to how the ministry is passed down and in his aphorisms that the ministry was actually an aristocracy and to be followed and obeyed. And so eventually, Wilhelm Lea broke with the Missouri Synod. But many of the initial pastors that formed the Missouri Synod in 1847 in Chicago, Illinois, were men that were trained and sent by Lea. So the theses that were adopted, basically, they held to, as did the Saxons. So why were these theses a doctrinal standard for congregations that wished to join the Missouri Synod? Well, because it was so tense, both in America and in Germany, both the Lea and Grabau, as well as Walther and others, were issuing articles adopting these theses. And so as we began talking with other Lutherans, that eventually led to the Synodical Conference of 1872, there were a number of colloquies and, and meetings and the after the Civil War in the late 1860s, and church and ministry was an issue. And those that wanted to establish fellowship uh, uh, together recognized the unity of faith, and church and ministry was a doctrine, were doctrines that were addressed and agreed upon. So they became a standard. How did Missouri's position on church and ministry differ from other Lutheran church bodies at the time? Well, as mentioned, the Buffalo Synod and the church body that then Leah supported was the Iowa Synod. They held to a higher view of the ministry with respect to how that was conferred and passed on. Plus, even the Eastern Lutherans that had been established before the Revolutionary War basically had ministeriums. So decisions were made only by the clergy. They, for example, the Pennsylvania Ministerium. So the clergy predominated, and the ministry was seen to be over the church, whereas Missouri had a balance, if you will. So the, the office of the ministry was conferred by way of the call, and ordination was a public recognition of that call. Also, the polity, the governance, which Missouri Synod always maintained was an adiaphora and was not commanded nor prohibited how it is done in Scripture, because we're in a country that has a democratic governance overall, our polity was democratic, which also was not followed by many of the other Lutherans. So decisions were made by both laity and clergy at 
synodical conventions, and then eventually when districts were formed in 1854, they were also uh, conducted that way at district conventions. And congregational meetings were uh, made where the lay people had a vote and a decision, not on doctrine, but on overall things dealing with the congregation and the call of the pastor. Dr. John Wolrobby is our guest, part six of our series on the Lutheran battle for the Bible. Today we're talking about church and ministry. So when was this biblical and balanced view of church and ministry in the LCMS, when did it begin to erode? How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. The days are shortening and it's soon back to school. Ad Crucem has beautiful posters and art to adorn your home school or classroom and we print them right here in our Colorado workshop. Come and see our various prints by Cronach, Holbein, Bonat, Tintoretto and Caravaggio. Stock up on our daily prayer posters, creed posters and other beautiful Christ-focused artworks. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. The radio voice of the Lutheran faith for the 21st century. You're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The school's division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Dr. John Wolrobby is our guest. He's author of a chapter in the book, Rediscovering the Issues Surrounding the 1974 Concordia Seminary Walkout. We're talking about church and ministry. So, Dr. Wolrobby, when did that balance struck on church and ministry in the early years of the LCMS begin to erode? Well, I would say it started within the Synodical Conference when the Wisconsin Synod started putting forth a different position. And it's interesting because these the leaders at uh, the Wisconsin Senate Seminary had all been trained under Walther because originally Wisconsin sent their pastors to St. Louis before they had their own seminary. But August Pieper, John Philip Kaler, and uh, I can't remember Schaller's first name, but anyway, at, at their seminary in Wauwatosa at that time, put forth a, a theology called Wauwatosa Theology, which 
maintained, and they disagreed with Walter. They said he was too dogmatic, systematic, the way he did theology. Uh, he would put forth theses and then have uh, supporting scripture and the confessions and then other church fathers defending his theses. They said that this was uh, not the appropriate way to approach theology, but exegesis first. And they came up with their own conclusions regarding church and ministry, namely that the church is not just a local gathering, predominantly rightly focused on the word and the sacraments, the means of grace, or what are also called the marks of the church, but basically any gathering of Christians. And so Missouri Synod had considered other forms, such as district, synod, as being churchly, but they were not church in the truest sense, because they were not gathered around word and sacrament. They were carrying out things that the congregations couldn't do on their own. Whereas now, for the Wisconsin Synod theologians, the church was any gathering, and so district was to function as church and had the right to excommunicate, so did synod. And then they also held that uh, the office of the ministry was not specifically established by Christ through the apostles to have pastors in every congregation, which Missouri Synod maintained according to Titus chapter 1, verse 5. But it was something that was historically developed, and how those offices were delineated or differentiated was up to the church. And so, basically, Christ established the office of the ministry in the proclamation of the Word and the administration of the sacraments, but then the church divvies it up how it wants to. So the pastor has a certain part of the pie, cultural school teacher has another section of the pie, the other offices. And so this basically I would refer to as a lower form or a lower understanding of the office of the ministry. It came into the Missouri Synod around the 1940s, and basically affected our, some of our parochial school teachers who adopted this view, but also some of our pastors. And then I think was held by some of those that signed on to a statement of the 44 in 1945. Eventually, it was then held by several of the profs at Concordia Seminary St. Louis, and they would articulate and develop it further. So that's how it kind of came into the Missouri Senate. You just mentioned that 1945 Statement of the 44. What was it, and how did it contribute to the shifting teaching on church and ministry? Well, all the way back in the Altenburg Theses and in Church and Ministry, Kirchhoff, Missouri Synod said that the church even existed in heterodox organizations, but every Christian is duty-bound for the protection, if you will, or sake of their faith, to avoid false teaching and false teachers, heterodox teaching. And so that is, since the Church is the Holy Christian Church, the Una Sancta is invisible, we can't see it, we identify it by the marks of the Church. And according to Scripture and our confessions, we are to avoid false teachers, and we are also to hold forth the Gospel in its truth and purity and administer the sacraments rightly according to the way Christ instituted them. So this was very important, but all of a sudden with a statement, you had a group of theologians, five of whom were professors at Concordia Seminary St. Louis, who said that this doctrinal position trying to put forth the gospel in its truth and purity was not as important 
And if there are church bodies, including other Lutherans, who don't hold to true teaching, we can still get together with them, have fellowship with them, pray with them. And so all of that was brought into question by a statement of the 44 in 1945. Dr. Robbie, more generally at the time, how was the faculty at Concordia Seminary loosening their doctrinal standards? Well, several of the other authors in the chapter get into this, but first of all, some of them had adopted the use of historical criticism, started with uh, Martin Charlemagne and Horace Hummel, but uh, uh, which, uh, interestingly, both of them ended up coming back to Concordia Seminary and disavowing the his- use of the historical criticism. Also, you had other theologians, including Yaroslav Pelikan and Richard Kemmerer, who disavowed the third use of the law focusing on the gospel and what became known as gospel reductionism. So the Word of God was predominantly only the gospel, and the law was only used in the first two ways of either as a curb to maintain order and structure in a fallen world or to convict us of our sin, but not as a guide or to instruct. And so, therefore, when you don't see all of Scripture as the Word of God inspired inerrant, but only the gospel, and then you define what the gospel is, and you disregard the law, that opens the door for all sorts of loosening of doctrinal standards. What were the mission affirmations of 1965, and what was their effect on church and ministry? Well, that certainly has already been addressed in this chapter in the book, Askins, I think that's how he pronounced his last name. Anyway, he, he did a wonderful job of presenting that, and I think you also had him on your program. But mission affirmations were put forth by Martin Kretzmann, who had been a uh, missionary to India, and basically only the same position that came out of his statement of the 44, loosening doctrine, wanting to basically get together with others, regardless of agreement or disagreement on, on doctrinal positions, and then also redefining what church and ministry are. Church, again, became identified not with the means of grace, but with anybody who says they are a Christian. And then ministry became not only the proclamation of the Word, focusing on law and gospel and the administration of the sacraments, but on any service toward others. So you were in ministry if you were teaching English as a second language. You were in ministry if you were providing aid for the poor or the destitute. You were even in ministry if you were involved with social and political action, for example, the overthrow of a despot or, or whatever. So they, it, it basically redefined church and ministry within the Missouri Senate. What was the high view at the time, that was entertained by some? Well, predominantly, it was through Arthur Carl Peepcorn, who had been a chaplain in World War II, decorated chaplain, well-recognized. But he was part of several organizations that were part of a greater liturgical movement. And uh, the organizations were Unisancta, what was Society of the Blessed Sacrament, predominantly Easterners, within the Missouri Synod, and some of them wanted to uh, establish an episcopacy within the Missouri Synod, 
which was rejected because of what had happened with Martin Stephan. And people preferred an episcopacy, but didn't insist upon it. Some that wanted the episcopacy wanted to also establish apostolic succession, similar to what is in the Lutheran Church of Sweden or the Anglican community. But people held a similar view to Wilhelm Lea, that the ministry is passed on by way of ordination through the laying on of hands, and not by way of the call of the congregation, with ordination being the recognition of that call. So that was the high view. As I said, it, it tied in with the liturgical movement, which was held by many, in, which now has continued in the Missouri scene in other ways, although it's not identified with necessarily yeah, St. Seminary, but that was the high view. And so the ministry is self-perpetuating, and some, as Wilhelm Leia would say in his aphorism, aphorisms, considered it an aristocracy within the Church. That certainly was not held with by uh, our church and ministry position dating back to 1851. What then was the low view? Well, the low view was similar to the position held within the Wisconsin Synod, that uh, the uh, office of the ministry was instituted by Christ, basically just the proclamation of the word and the administration of the sacraments, often identified as institution in an abstract form, but not in a specific office. And so the church then could create offices. And this became position of several within, on the faculty, including Richard Kemmerer, Frederick Danker, and others. And it led to uh, an interesting book by a guy that wasn't on the faculty, but uh, was uh, on the staff at the Senate, uh, named Oscar Foyt. Everyone a minister. And, and so it, it reinterpreted Ephesians 4 to mean that the pastoral or the, the minister is there to basically instruct and guide the lay people for ministry. So that the lay people are the ones that are to do the ministry, but not uh, necessarily the, the pastor. So this uh, came into the resolution and uh, uh, was held by many within the faculty. How did the ordination of women by some Lutheran church bodies contribute to the confusion that led up to the walkout? Well, within world Lutheranism, uh, the first uh, church body, I think, was uh, the Lutheran Church of Denmark in 1948, then the uh, Lutheran Church of Sweden in 1958, and then the American Lutheran Church and the Lutheran Church in America in 1970. And interestingly, we had just declared fellowship with the American Lutheran Church in 1969. But the faculty majority, several of the professors, by way of historical criticism, disregarded the order of creation. Adam was created first, and then Eve, and also disregarded uh, passages in the epistles, 1 Corinthians 14, for example, or uh, in the pastoral epistles, which held that women were not to have authority over men in the church, and had maintained that that was not uh, the pastoral office. office. Well, several of the members of the faculty majority disregarded that, disregarded the order of creation, disregarded the pastoral epistles. And even within the American Lutheran Church and the Lutheran Church in America, they had disregarded the pastoral epistles. If you question whether Paul even wrote those based on 
an understanding of the historical criticism. So all of this was being discussed right after they left the Missouri Synod and formed the Association of Evangelical Lutheran Churches. The faculty of what became Seminex adopted women's organizations. So all of that was in the works during this time. How did the walkout itself contribute to the confusion regarding the divine call into the ministry? Well, first of all, you've got the faculty who had a divine call to serve going on strike. I can't even imagine a pastor in a congregation saying, I don't agree with something that the congregation voted on, and therefore I'm going to go on strike. Uh, we have a divine call. We're called by God through the congregation, in the case of the professors, through the congregations of synod to perform the, the ministry to which we're assigned, and to all of a sudden go on strike. It's just casts great questions about the, the office of the ministry. And then another thing that caused issues were district presidents who um, chose to disregard the bylaws of synod and install and ordain graduates of seminex, even though they were not part of our church body and they had not been certified by a faculty of one of our seminaries. What happened to those district presidents that did that? Well, um, President J.A.O. Price brought it before the 1975 convention. The convention authorized him to dismiss any that, uh, that would not uh, repent and, and desist doing that. Three of them resigned their positions. One of them said he would stop, but four of them, President Price had to remove from office. How has the LCMS clarified its position on church and ministry since the walkout? Well, I believe it was in 2001, the Convention of Synod at that time reaffirmed that church and ministry, the theses that were adopted in 1851, are the position of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod on the doctrine of ministry. And so we have affirmed that. Concordia Publishing House has published a new edition. Well, it's now probably 10, 15 years, but uh, President Harrison edited it. I would encourage people to get a copy of that and read it themselves. Why does the church's teaching on church and ministry matter? Because it is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is justification by grace through faith. The central teaching teaching on which the church stands and falls. The church is the bride of Christ who redeemed her, and we are members of the church by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, our Savior. To obtain such faith, Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession says that the ministry of Word and Sacrament has been established, and so it focuses again on Christ. And then the office of the ministry is established by Christ to proclaim this word, the gospel, and administer the sacraments. So it all centers on Christ. It centers on the gospel and justification by grace through faith. Dr. John Wohlrabi is assistant pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. He's sixth vice president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, and author of a chapter in the book, Rediscovering the Issues Surrounding the 1974 Concordia Seminary Walkout. Dr. Wohlrabi, thank you very much. Oh, sure, Todd. We will stay on the subject of the battle for the Bible, discussing the higher critical method of biblical interpretation with Dr. Timothy Mashke on the other side of the break. 
How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministries sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org life. Continuing education for the confessional Lutheran. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.